Hey there, welcome to Dirt Rich. I'm Jonathan Kilpatrick, Soil Health Specialist at the Sustainable Farming Association. Today, I'm joined again by Jared Lumen, our Soil Health Lead, for a conversation about farm profitability and finances. We are going to take a dive into farm economics, finance, and how to get a handle on the financial health of our farm businesses. Jared farms with his family in Goodhue, Minnesota, where they raise organic crops, registered red Angus cattle, custom graves for other producers, and direct market grass-fed meats. Welcome back to Dirt Rich, Jared. Thanks so much, Jonathan. Good to be back. Yeah, well, thanks for coming back on. Really excited about this episode and chatting with you some more about farm finance, economics, and how to work the numbers in your business, how to understand the financial health of your farm business and some things that are unique to agriculture businesses that we can talk about and both of us have some experience with. And so, yeah, this is going to be a good episode, I think. So, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. It's something that I, it's funny. I, a few years ago, we had somebody with extension kind of come out to our farm and went through our numbers and with us. And I think they said something along the lines of like, well, how did you come to your conclusions around decisions that you made and stuff? And we kind of concluded that it was largely around my dad's gut, you know, kind of gut feelings and back of the envelope math and stuff, which fortunately had done well for us, but we recognize it's something we want to get better at. And so, yeah, this conversation of knowing your numbers and your finances and your economics of your business is, is an important topic that we've been focusing on trying to do better over the last couple of years. So not that I'm an expert. I, I'm happy to talk about it, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, as the more I've gotten to know you, I know that you... Uh... You're a self-proclaimed uh, spreadsheet nerd, maybe. Is yes. that the correct way to say it? Uh, <laughs> yes, yep, and, uh, that would be the case. Yeah, and uh, at the annual conference back in February, you had a pretty full room at your session talking about farm profitability and why we should be concerned about it. And that was one thing that we saw in a lot of our survey results is that a lot of people mm -hmm. really liked that session. And I think it's not been talked about enough in agriculture. Um, and so I think this is a good platform for us to kind of share some ideas and some tips and tricks and kind of get the conversation started. So um, yeah. first question, I think, you know, you mentioned the back of the envelope math and your dad's gut feeling is how many people do you think are, and this is maybe hard to kind of put into a number, but how many farmers out there do you think are running their businesses that way versus how many really have track of, you know, what's going on with their, their books? Like maybe, maybe the better way to ask that is, how many people are like able to forecast their forecast their cash flow versus how many are getting at the end of the year and handling everything over to the tax accountant and looking back at how they did and then making decisions for the next year based on that? Yeah, that's a good question. It'd be interesting to talk to like a CPA and find out, you know, from their experience how many are doing that. I I don't know for sure how many are making their their business decisions going forward based on, you know, projections and really good business analysis. I would say a lot of the bigger guys probably are, and there's probably a reason why that's probably a big part of the reason why they've gotten to be larger farms is because they've worked their numbers. But I would say a lot of the smaller operations are operating probably with less, less of that, <laughs> less of that information. And also probably just largely making decisions based on what they've always done because they've always done it. I see that a lot of times too. They may not think there's much they can do because there's only one option when they just haven't been exposed to those new ideas. But And there's so many things to be doing at any one time in a farm operation or ranch operation. And, you know, it's easy to kind of shelve the desk work and not make it a priority when there's something else outside to be doing when the weather's nice. So question to kind of start this off is why why should we be concerned about farm finances and working our numbers like what what would be the importance of that in your your mind well there's probably a distinction to be made there is you know who needs to focus on their their finances and stuff before we even address why they need to focus on them but who would be specifically the people i would say who want to operate their farms as a business um a lot of times we hear people say, you know, this is a lifestyle business or I'm in it for the lifestyle or some people will, you know, knowingly call themselves a hobby farm and that's okay. And and if that's something, if you accept that this is not going to generate you exceptional profit, you're not trying to use this to scale and grow something um, or at least not at the rate that you could. And, and that's something you're satisfied with being a hobby farmer. There's nothing wrong with that. And you don't need to, you know, you don't need to 
evaluate your numbers from the depth that maybe someone else who is trying to operate their farm as a business would. Um, and and I think there is just a distinction to be made there because they don't have to. You can do what you love and and be comfortable to maybe have an economic loss. But for anybody who wants to operate their farm and ranch as truly as a business, like defining it as a business that has an intention of growth and generating revenue and paying all of, uh, you know, paying you for your assets and things like that, you need to evaluate it that way. You need to look at your numbers. And I think it's important to, you know, then to define like, why, why do we need to look at our numbers? Because we want to generate profit. Um, and a lot of times if we're not evaluating our numbers, we may not recognize where our money is being lost and where money is being generated, how we are actually generating a profit. And so I guess another further kind of rabbit trail to go down then would be is why do we want to define or why do we need to make a profit? And I'm not sure if this is something we want to talk about now or not, but I think it's important for people to decide what they do with profit. Uh, We were at the school yesterday that Dave Pratt came and spoke in Minnesota to a lot of us and kind of walked through some examples of what farms can do with profit. And, And it's pretty cool. A lot of farmers might think that they only have, you know, they only need to get generate enough income to make a living. You know, if I can make do on $30,000 or $40,000 a year, that's all I need to do. That's all I need my business to generate. And it's probably important for people to decide for themselves, uh, what would they do if they had more profit? If they had $50,000, what would they do? If they had $75,000, what would they do? If they had $100,000, what would they do? What have you been putting off because you haven't generated enough income? Maybe your wife is working off the farm and you really want to get her home. Uh, to be a part of the business and be spending more time with family, but she's too busy working an off-farm job to provide the insurance and extra income to keep you farming, or maybe that uh, you know you've been putting off taking the family on vacation for so long because you haven't had the money to do that or haven't had the help to do that. And so, if you can let yourself imagine for a few minutes what you would do if you had more money than you've ever had before, if your business was gen- generating exceptional profit, that can get kind of exciting to think about what you do with all that money. And it's probably important for people to think about uh, what they would do with that and to help encourage them or help them realize the importance of focusing on generating a profit from your business. Profit Mm -hmm. is not just necessarily greed. It can be a very noble thing for a business to generate profit. If you do with that money, things that have the potential to generate good for your family and your community. Sure. Yeah. And I'll just go back uh, real quick. You mentioned Dave Pratt. So for those of our listeners who don't know who Dave Pratt is, Dave was a former owner of Ranch Management Consultants company that puts on the Ranching for Profit School, uh, which mm-hmm. is a pretty well-known business school within the farming and ranching world. It's often been called the MBA in a week for farmers and ranchers. And uh, yeah. so Dave has retired from that and sold the company to another gentleman who's taking it even steps further than Dave was able to. And Dave even admitted that yesterday. Jared and I have both attended the Ranching for Profit School so and found it a very valuable resource in our uh, careers. So let's go back. Let's back up a minute. We talked about, you talked about hobby versus business. Do you think it's, can we put a definition on a hobby versus a business? You know, we kind of are drawing that contrast between these types of Mm -hmm. farm businesses. Is it possible that we can throw a definition out there of what is a hobby and then what is a business? Yeah. Well, I guess, and I don't have the definite dictionary definition or anything, but in my mind, a a business would be something that is done expressly with the intent of generating a profit. I'm not sure if that's a fair definition or not. And then a hobby would be something, whether it generates a profit or not, it's, it's intent is not necessarily to generate a profit. It's intent is primarily for some sort of lifestyle. Sure. Uh, goals uh, to do something that you enjoy. I guess that's probably how I would define it. And there's probably nuances to that. The profit is not maybe financial. It's maybe there's some other profit to be made, whether ecological or environmental or just lifestyle, like you said. So let's define profit. What's a a definition for profit? And I uh, was looking up before this and according to the Cambridge Dictionary Online, profit is defined as money that is earned in trade or business after paying the costs of producing and selling goods and services. So Jared, what are your thoughts on what's a good definition of profit in your mind for those of us in 
agriculture? Does it change between that definition and those of us in agriculture businesses? Yeah. Well, my favorite answers to that is probably like, uh, what's profit? And then you hear a rancher say something like a fairy tale or a dream or <laughs> something like that. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, luck. It's, or an oxymoron or luck. Yeah. Something <laughs> like that. Yeah. So that's, that's what profit is not. I would say a uh, profit in, in, in kind of going back to the ranching for profit model, it, it very much aligns with the dictionary definition you shared there. We define or what I define profitability as is the ability profit is what comes after paying for all of your true costs associated with a business. And in an agricultural business, what are those costs? Obviously, there's your input costs, your 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 NP and K, your fuel, those simple costs that we see, we write a check for every year. But it also it also has to account for the costs that maybe are not seen every year. A check is not written for every year those costs could be paid for land. Maybe you inherited a farm, you've got right. 200 acres that you have no debt on. And so you have no rent costs for those 200 acres. You have no mortgage costs for those 200 acres. I feel that you need to pay fair market rent for that land, essentially separating your your, li- your land business from your operating business. And your operating business in order to generate a profit needs to pay fair market rent to you as a landowner for that for that land. And after paying for that land costs, you also have to pay for all of your labor costs. And that's the full cost of labor, not just what you need to make a living on. Essentially, like what would it cost to replace you with somebody else? And so if you're working 80 hours a week, you can't say that I would just hire a full-time person to do that because if it's not their business, chances are you're not going to be able to find a person to work 80 hours a week for uh, one full-time salary. You know, It's going to take two people to work those 80 hours a week. So even though you may be working and living off one person's salary to truly pay for your cost of labor, it's going to cost 80,000 instead of 40 or whatever your cost, you know, that labor is what it would cost you in your market to replace yourself. Same thing if you have kids working for free or a wife doing the books, but doesn't, you know, generate profit and is not paid for that labor. You know, we need to pay for all that. And then the other one kind of tying back to that land is in getting paid for your your ownership of land is being paid for your ownership of equipment and livestock or any assets that you have in the business. You have equity tied up in that, whether it's a paid for tractor, a paid for herd of cows. It in today's industry, in today's uh, kind of economy or the egg economy, it does not take very much equipment or livestock to have an asset value in excess, you know, many hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars. It doesn't take much. And that's a lot of equity tied up that should be generating you a return. If you have a million dollars in livestock and equipment that you just liquidated and put that money in the stock market, oh, I forget what the book it was that I read, but from the year 1975 to 2015, a 40 year period, that the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund generated a return of over 11%. Mm. And so if we can generate 11% putting money and completely passively putting money into a total stock market index fund, over 40 years, we should be able to generate some sort of a return on our equity tied up in the business. And so we use the the, the number 10% as kind of a, a simple way to do that. And so every cow, every tractor, every piece of equipment in your business, the equity you have in that, you should be paying yourself or your operating business should be paying the owner yourself a 10% return on an equity. And when you can pay fair market rates for land, labor, and a return on your equity, and pay all your other input costs associated with production of whatever commodity or you know whatever you're producing. Uh, what's left after all of that is what I would define as profit. Um, and so it's it's essentially the same definition of you that you gave. It's just putting a little more spe- specificity to the word costs that they use. You know what are those costs in an egg business, and making sure you're paying fairly for all those costs, even if they're not you know writing a check, a cash expense. Right. Yeah, that's a really good point. And like, it's kind of like a game changer when you start thinking about it. And I, and I kind of wonder if this is where potentially a line can be drawn between, you know, a business or, you know, a hobby. And I think it's really important to say that whether you choose to run a business or you, you farm as a hobby, there's no, there's no necessarily right or wrong. Um, I think it's really important for those who are starting out to realize what their goals are, ask themselves why they're getting into it. 
because that really helps define how you're going to go about running that business, how you're going to make decisions and how you're going to you know, engage with major stakeholders, whether employees or um, family members in that business so that everybody's clear about what the goals and purposes of that business are. And like you said, if you can take that money and just get a 10% return somewhere else. And I think Dave said it yesterday, why would you do something something for nothing instead of doing nothing for... I, I'm going to... Uh, I always butcher what he says. What did he call it? Is Pratt's paradigm or something Pratt's like paradigm. that? Pratt's paradigm. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's why why do something, why why work to make less money than you could make doing nothing? Right. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> right. And I think like a, a business, true business owner is going to look at that and realize, yep, that's kind of, that's a, that's a good definition. If I can just take this money and invest it somewhere else, or, yeah. you know, if I, do I want to own that business? And if I was what is this a business I would buy? Is this a farm mm-hmm. business I would want to buy? Is a good reality check? Um, yeah. Is this, you know, so anyhow, yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a really good definition for profit. And I think it covers all the, you know, the major bases there, so to speak on, on how to define that. So what's, what's a loss? I mean, we talked about profit. What's a loss. If, yeah. if we can define profit, can we define loss? Well, I guess a loss would be something that if, if you, can't make all of those payments if you can't pay fairly for all of that it may not and this is an economic loss may not be a cash loss like you may actually have enough cash flow to support your business and support yourself and and still be at an economic loss and uh, maybe a, an example for that would be say the farm you know you generated a uh, $100,000 we'll say you know you you, you generated $100,000 after paying all of your input costs and everything, your input costs specifically, you put the crop in the ground, you harvested it, you sold it, you made $100,000 in cash, but you did that on land that you never paid rent for. And mm-hmm. you did that with labor that you didn't generate, you know, you didn't pay for because you're living off of your wife's salary. And so you you have $100,000 in cash after the year, but you when you when you charge yourself fair rent, say you did that on 500 acres at 200 bucks an acre, well, that's $100,000 right there. Plus your labor costs, if you charge your business charges you for labor costs at $50,000, now you have a $50,000 economic loss. And so you're on on paper, in, in true economic terms, you've lost $50,000, but in cash flow, I guess you could say you have a $100,000 mm-hmm. uh, gain. So I guess that's a, an example of how you define the difference between loss and profit. There's You, you can have a, a loss and not realize it maybe in terms of you know, negative balance sheet or balance sheet going backwards or bank account going backwards. So what is what is cash flow? You know, for someone just getting into this, how do you define a cash flow? Man, well I don't have a good definition specifically, but I think it's kind of similar to that story before. If you have and I shared this at the annual conference presentation, if you had two people and each person, you know, say they're and this is kind of a story, a fictitious story that I put together to kind of help define the difference between that and say there's two siblings and their parents die and they each inherit a 100 acre farm along with $300,000. And one sibling decides to, and I, I've named them Frank and Janet. Uh, and so Frank decides to go out and buy a full line of equipment to do all of this farming on this 100 acre farm. It's got a combine, a truck, a sprayer, a tractor, a planter, and you know, all the all the stuff to do to do that. Whereas Janet, she gets scared to do all of that. And so she hires Frank to do it for her. And so her farm business, and let's say on, on those, each of their farms, 100 acres each, they jo- they both generated $50,000 in, in income after paying their input costs. He, he paid, he made $50,000, whereas she had to pay him $15,000 to custom farm it. And so she had $35,000 in cash flow and he had $65,000 in cash flow, which is a very, you know, it makes it look like he's more profitable, but he hasn't paid himself anything for land rent. He hasn't paid himself anything for his labor or a return to his equity. And when you look at those two doing something different, I guess another way to to say that he has to now pay himself $20,000 for the labor to do all of that. He has to pay himself a 10% return on the $300,000 in equipment that he did. That takes that sixty thousand dollar cash flow down to a ten thousand dollar profit, and so I guess that would be an example of the difference between cash flow and profit. 
but as far as a definition of cash flow, I guess that it would just be simply the the money that flows in and out of a business, sure. but doesn't really the movement of money in and out of a company. Yeah, doesn't really mean much as far as the health of a business at all. Yeah, I've you know, I've been told and heard many times and experienced it myself. I think cash flow for agriculture businesses is one of the most important things to pay attention to. A lot of farm businesses that I've seen have gone belly up because of cash flow. And like you said earlier, a lot of farms can have like a million dollars, you know, worth of assets. You have equity just tied up and stuff, but that doesn't mean it's producing cash flow. And so, it, you know, an example of this would be you plant a crop, but you, you know, you're not going to harvest it till October, November. You have a lot of money sitting out there in the field that's developing and growing and maturing, but you're going to have, and you're going to have a lot of cash flow when you go to harvest it and sell it. But then that might be your cash flow for the year. So that cash flow has to kind of hold you over and sustain you. So keeping a consistent cash flow to pay, you know, service your debt and pay pay your suppliers and your vendors is really important for a company. And it's a lot of times I think why, you know, there's a saying that farmers and ranchers are wealthy on the balance sheet and broke at the bank. It's because on the balance sheet it shows a lot of assets, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars worth of things that could be turned into cash, but it you can't do that overnight necessarily. No, for sure. It's it's a probably one of the most complicated businesses to manage cash flow because it's such a seasonal business for crop farmers specifically and livestock farmers who wean their calves in the fall and stuff. We have to manage our cash flow, but yeah, that it's no doubt challenging. So like let's just say in your business, you guys, you know, raise registered red Angus seed stock. You have a calf born, you know, enters the herd. And that calf may or may not produce a cash flow, but it it creates value for the business. Describe the journey of that calf in the different ways and at different times, how it can produce either cash flow or just creates increased value for your business. So this is, that's a good point. And I guess I spent a lot of time there focusing on unrealized cash expenses, but this might be, if I'm kind of hearing what you're asking is like maybe unrealized gains in the business value that may not be realized. For example, probably the best example would be a heifer in in a cow-calf business. If you're growing the herd and expanding through keeping your own heifers, that heifer has a value that was not realized in cash terms because you never sold it. You retained it as a as a female in your herd and expanded your herd by one number. And so on the balance sheet that the value of your business has gone up. And this goes to profitability too. Kind of a <laughs> kind of how I talked about earlier, you can you can be making a net loss, but still cash flowing if you have a lot of equity tied up, but you can also probably make a net gain mm-hmm. while losing cash flow, you know, losing money and almost not having cash flow if you're retaining too many females that the ones that you are selling is not generating enough income to pay your profit. Right. Um, or pay your expenses to to make a, a living and, and make the, the cash flow for you. So that's a, a good point. So that that would be an example of a, you know, the heifers is probably the best example that and for our our business, it was actually something that was really we were struggling for a while in 2015 when I got home from the from college and kind of encouraged my dad and like let's look at expanding this cow-calf business. We both enjoy grazing. We love what it does for the soil. And we've been doing that every year since. And up until this year, you know, we had about three, we were going to calve about 310 cows this spring if we didn't sell any heifers. And the numbers just never really looked all that good on the cow-calf business. And they didn't come anywhere near to competing with the row crop business. But that's because we were looking at cash flow and the cash that was generated off the business, not the true net profits of the business because we weren't accounting for the value retained in heifers and our business uh, that the the net worth or the equity tied up in our business had had grown from call it 150 cows at two thousand dollars 300 grand to over six hundred thousand dollars in value so over those seven years we had netted close to like 80 or ninety thousand dollars a year in value accumulation that was not realized in cash terms because of that retaining of heifers. And for this year, we sold, ended up selling 80 cows because we we wanted to uh, stay around 230 cows calving this spring. And that was the first time in eight years that we've realized the cash and actually got to see some of that in, in cash value. But if you didn't account for that 
in your analysis and you just say these cow, this cow calf business isn't profitable because we haven't made enough money off of it, but you don't account for the increase in net worth generated by retaining heifers, then that's not a fair assumption or analysis of the business and the separate enterprises. And so that would be an example, you know, that's the importance of doing this true analysis is to make sure that you're accounting for all the true costs in the business and all of the true incomes too, to do a fair analysis between enterprises. Sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you have a hundred cows and we'll just make it easy because we're going to have a really great herd of cows and have a hundred calves. So yes. just, just for simplicity's sake, you know, if you keep every single one of those calves, you, your cash flow, there's no cash flow if you retain them, but the value of what you own is doubled, tripled, maybe depending on what, you know, what you have. And then yeah. depending on, you know, a lot of other factors specific to the cow calf business that we could go into, but it's probably too long of a discussion for days, today's episode. And then let's just say in context of a, a market gardener, if you have, let's say you start with a tomato seed, you have the opportunity to grow a transplant. You could maybe sell that as a transplant or put it in the ground. If you put it in the ground and plant it and grow grow it out to you know produce tomatoes, you don't get the cash flow from the transplant, but you potentially have cash flow coming from tomatoes. And let's say you sell the tomatoes at the farmer's market or you save the tomatoes. Maybe you add value to those tomatoes and you make your salsa, you don't have the cash flow from the tomatoes at that time, but you have added value and you have... So, And the same thing could be said for a crop farmer. Maybe you you save your own seeds. So you don't sell all your corn, you save some corn back to plant. You have some value there. So anyhow, just a lot of different ways of looking at it. It's something that people need to keep in mind, I think, especially in agriculture. I'm not a tax expert at all or anything either, but I'm as I'm even just thinking through this, like as far as our our numbers, we were able to go from a three hundred thousand dollars cow value to a six hundred thousand dollars cow cow value without paying any income taxes on that because we retained the value. You don't, but whereas if you you sold those heifer calves, the same three hundred thousand dollars in heifer calves would have been taxed at income rates and stuff. So it's kind of an interesting. There's there's perks to retaining you know, assets and letting them appreciate in value or to, to build value in a, in a business, but sure. just needs to, the other thing that <laughs> along with that too, is now we went from a $300,000 cow value to a $600,000 cow value that we, our business needs to pay ourselves a return on that equity. Right. And so now we have a $60,000 a year expense to uh, pay interest on the value and the equity tied up in those cows. So on the business side, without a, and while without accumulating the the cash flow of that so it's a it was a i don't know it's just an interesting thing to consider yeah i think another key that folks should pay attention to and all farmers really should know is at what point in the production process what is the value of your crop or your livestock and where where is the money to be made is there money to be made in going to the next level. So for instance, we've been talking about cows. So let's just pick on cows for right now. Is there money to be made in taking that weaned heifer calf to a bred heifer? And how much money would you make if you sold that, just that weaned calf? How much is it going to cost you to get her to the next stage? Let's just say a bred heifer. And is the market paying you to do that? And you know, just, just having like mm-hmm. an idea of where where the value in the increase in value is and yeah. at any point in the process you know being able to like hey i need cash flow or something comes up and you know hey i can sell at this point and i can expect this time of kind of return or this kind of profit yeah well there's a lot of especially in the upper midwest i think there's a lot more farmer feeders than maybe out west where it's large ranch land and stuff there's a lot of people who retain the ownership of their calves from birth until finish they may not market they may direct market them and contain them you know own retain ownership all the way to the plate and that's fine too but oh we could even say that let's say if we're looking at this cow calf business as one business and not a an accumulation of almost three or four separate enterprises and you say at the end of the year that cow we sold that calf for a net profit of two hundred dollars uh, as a or at the end of two years, when it's grass finished, we sold it to a consumer and we made a net profit of two hundred and fifty dollars or whatever. Well, where was that money generated? If you had just sold the calf off the cow right after weaning, would you have generated two hundred and fifty dollars there? And the next three enterprises of st- backgrounding them, finishing them, and marketing them didn't generate you any profit. 
Right. Or maybe you lost $100 on the cow-calf business, but you generated $350 in the backgrounding business, the marketing, and the finishing business. And so this is, I think, where you're kind of getting at the importance of analyzing your numbers and analyzing your enterprises right. is the the important part about that is that you get to start seeing where your money is being made and where your money is being lost right. and cutting out enterprises where money is being lost. Because how cool would it be if you did this analysis and you said, yes, I'm, I'm owning this calf from birth until market and making $250. But you come to find out after running the numbers that the cow calf business is losing you hundred dollars, the the finishing business is losing you two hundred dollars, and so the fact that you netted and maybe the the backgrounding business is profiting you hundred dollars and the marketing business is profiting you four hundred and fifty dollars or whatever it works out to, why should you be in the finishing business and the cow calf business if all of your money is being generated in the backgrounding business and the marketing business? Absolutely. You're losing a net $350 on those two enterprises where if you got rid of those and concentrated those resources that you were putting towards those enterprises on the ones that are generating you profit, you could take the profitability of your business leaps and bounds ahead. Right. Yeah. A couple of years ago, I had a very wise person pose this question who has also worked in farm finance sector as a consultant for many years. And one of his favorite questions to ask clients is, what makes your business money? Is it milking the cows? Is it planting the tomatoes? Is it making salsa out of those tomatoes? Is it marketing that product? Like, Where is the greatest increase in value realized in all of your effort? And it's something I've always thought about. It's like, well, you know, and and a lot of our listeners or some of our listeners have vertically integrated businesses, you know, direct marketing businesses where we are growing the produce and selling it. So we're the production company and we're the marketing company and the distribution company. And I think it's really important to, like you said a couple minutes ago, is break it out and understand, are you, what part of the business is making you that money or what, what action? And then focus on that. So that might be a good segue into like the next section, kind of talk about some practical steps that folks can take. Where, where should someone start? You know, maybe they got into farming and maybe you know they're starting to realize hey i need to i need to get a better handle on my numbers you know what's the best place to start what are some tools to use where would you suggest they start jared hmm. i think to me almost it seems like the simplest and the the first step that needs to happen is kind of to what we were just saying is separating out your different enterprises that are seem like obvious or clear enterprises, the first of which should be your land, your land and real estate investment enterprise. That should be separated out from the operating business altogether and looked at as its own separate business. But then within the business, uh, you know, on our farm, for example, uh, we've broken out our farm operating business into a series of, I'm counting them up here, probably four, five, six different enterprises, something like that. We've got a an organic corn crop enterprise. We have an organic soybean enterprise. We have a organic hay crop enterprise. We probably could combine those two because in some regards, we have a rotation that we can't do organic corn on corn on corn on corn every year. So maybe it could just be an organic cropping enterprise. Um, that's fine because we depend on that rotation. But uh, then we have our livestock enterprise. And within our livestock enterprise, we have a cow-calf business. We have a heifer development enterprise. Yep. And we have a custom grazing dairy heifer enterprise. And each of those should be separate because we need to determine which of those enterprises is the money made in. And we're a registered seed stock producer. And so we need to retain heifers to replace in our own herd. It's kind of, we can't buy in our genetics from somewhere else and just have the cows. But what we did when we did an analysis on the the heifer enterprise and realized that it's not the gross margin per animal unit on the the heifer enterprise is lower than the cow-calf enterprise. And so whenever we reach whatever our herd number is, wherever, if that's 230, if we stay where we're at, maybe now instead of retaining all heifers and selling them as bred heifers or bred cows, maybe what we should be focusing on is just retaining the heifers that we need to replace our cow herd, the, the, the cows that are leaving the herd and selling all the rest of the heifers as heifer calves after weaning. Because taking an open heifer calf to a bred heifer is not as profitable for us as using that same amount of grass to feed more cows. 
And if we had not broken out that heifer enterprise from the cow-calf enterprise, we may have continued to raise heifers in excess of what we need at a an economic loss. So break out your enterprise and probably a spreadsheet is the simplest and you know easiest to access way to do that. Start on a spreadsheet, breaking out your numbers and and recording your direct costs for each enterprise is probably the first place to start. Yeah. Yeah. So what we're what we're wanting to do with each of those enterprises ultimately get to a, a gross margin uh, analysis where we can we can analyze the gross margin between between each enterprise. Sure. And that gives us a fair assessment. And, and what gross margin is to help people understand that a little better is gross margin is our gross product, which is the total accumulation of value by an enterprise. And that includes sales and retained heifers, for example, or whatever asset we're retaining. If that heifer is kept in the business, but has a value of $1,000, that is included in the gross product. That enterprise generated that much value. It just wasn't realized in cash terms. So that's gross product. And gross product minus direct costs, which are the, the costs that are associated with a specific unit of production. Okay. So one acre of corn has 150 units of nitrogen. That would be a direct cost to that acre, that specific unit. A tractor, one acre of corn does not need one more tractor. Um, there's probably some farms out there that have too many tractors per, you know, not hopefully not a tractor per acre or whatever, but uh, you know, that's, it's not directly associated with the unit of production. And so we subtract the gross product minus the direct costs, which would be in a cow business, your feed, your vet, or your vet costs, your vaccination. In our situation, we have registration costs, breeding costs. Yeah. Your, your tags, stuff like that. Um, subtract that out from your gross product per unit of production or gross product per cow or gross product per acre. Mm-hmm. A simple, let's look at a corn example. You might say 200 bushels times $5 a bushel is $1,000 and generated. That's your gross product on an acre of corn. Your direct costs for an acre of corn, they might be, oh, I don't know, $500 in seed, fertilizer, chemical, roughly. Then your gross margin is $500. That's your gross product minus direct costs. So like, let's just say in a market gardener example, or um, someone on yeah. a, maybe a smaller scale than a crop farmer, you know, again, we'll go back to tomatoes, you know, a direct cost would be the seed and any fertilizer amendments for growing that crop. And then uh, trellising or tomato cages, you know, stuff like that would be a direct cost for that. Anything that's associated specifically with the production of the one, the one crop. Or enterprise, yeah, uh, by it, to, related specifically to a unit of production, because you may have a tractor that's specifically associated to one enterprise, but a tractor is still considered an overhead cost, which we'll get into later. Okay, so anything with a specific unit of production, right? And in cropping world, typically we refer to a unit of production as an acre. I don't know if in vegetable production, if you do the same thing where you're maybe only running on two acres, <laughs> but you know, maybe it's a square foot sometimes a square used. foot or whatever it would be. Yeah. So it'd be a, a little bit different there, but, and in livestock production, one unit of production is, is one animal. Right. Okay. All right. So that, yeah, you, so you mentioned overhead. So what's the difference between an overhead cost and a direct cost? Yes. So an overhead cost is an it's a cost that is not associated with a specific unit of production. And there's two types of overhead costs. There's land and there's labor. And land uh, would be your rent and labor would be obviously the human use, but anything associated with labor as well. A tractor, a truck, a four-wheeler, you know, pieces of equipment that, that a, a unit of labor operates would be included in that labor overhead. And those are things that, again, are not associated with a specific unit of production. And so for, let's look at these two examples again, in a cropping enterprise, that might be your tractors. It would be your planter, your combine, because if you sell or if you stop farming, if you lose a lease on 100 acres, you're not going to sell a combine because of that. You know, you, you you still need a combine to operate on whatever other acres you still have. So that's an overhead cost not associated with one acre or one specific unit of production. Uh, in a cow-calf business, the overhead cost might be your four-wheelers, your truck, your livestock trailer, things that, you know, because you went from 100 to 75 cows, you're not going to sell off 
uh, 25% of your truck and trailer, you still have that cost. And so those would be overheads associated with that. Right. And I'll just throw another example out there. So if you are a, a beekeeper, you need a tool called a, a smoker to check your hives. So you need a, you need that tool no matter if you're running a thousand hives or one hive. So that's a good example of an overhead cost. It's not going to change based on units of production or in this case, hives, beehives, but it's something you still need whether you're running one or a hundred, which is, which is where economies of scale kind of come in. So anyhow, just another example. Yeah, no, exactly. And so the kind of analysis that we're trying to do first is to get a gross margin analysis. Um, and that's again, before your overhead costs, that's your gross product minus your direct cost gives you a gross margin analysis. And then you uh, you get to compare enterprises between the different the gross margins between different enterprises to see which one has the highest gross margin. And the one with the highest gross margin will be best able to help you pay for all of your overheads. And that's why you do that before you calculate your overhead costs. But then your your gross margin minus your overhead expenses is your net profit. So it's a fairly simple formula, but there is some work involved to to get those numbers and kind of put them into a a format that works for you so you can kind of figure that out. And once you have it set up, especially like in a spreadsheet, you can just kind of run these numbers and uh kind of plug and play for all your different enterprises, whether you're a vegetable farmer and you're growing 15 to 20 different kinds of vegetables, or you know, you're just running cattle or crops or whatever you're doing. So that's kind of the basic format. And so then as we're running our numbers, are there so we talked about a spreadsheet. Are there other resources or tools that you have found helpful? Maybe as you're keeping books, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's tough. I I mean, spreadsheets are what I use now, but this is what we're trying to figure out. We're not experts yet at doing any of this. This is things that I've learned and that the application of is still in, in the process. <laughs> we're still in the process of figuring out how to apply it. But I, the, I guess the things that I would look for, I don't know if I have good tools for them, but it would be a good way to well, probably, you know, a good way to estimate and account costs uh, and so that, you know, associated with a specific enterprise, like the questions that I've had as I put together my, my gross margin analysis on enterprises looking forward or like, what are the costs of certain enterprises that I don't currently do? If I want to compare them against what I do already, how do I accumulate or how do I get gathered the information on those costs? And so for me, the, the resource that I've looked largely to has been to other people doing it. And the example that I'll give right now is right now we've done organic cropping and and beef cows. What we have not done is no-till corn and soybean production, a conventional no-till corn and soybean production. And we're looking at doing that here in the uh, upcoming few years. And I wanted to see how it compares on a gross margin analysis with these other enterprises we're looking at, but I don't have any clue what the direct costs associated with that business are. And so I've reached out to neighbors of mine. Uh, who do that and do that successfully to help me kind of come up with the numbers that I need to fill in my gross margin analysis. Um, and so, you know, if it's not an enterprise that you're familiar with, reach out to somebody who does it, or maybe, you know, what I did before I reached out to him and I had him kind of check my numbers is look on like extension data, U of M extension data, but that's not necessarily based on no-till specific and regenerative type crop farming enterprises. So it didn't give me some of the the benefits that you know, are associated with farming in that way, but that's where coming, you know, talking to someone else came in handy, but sure. I don't have other, I guess, specific tools. Are there some, you know, of? yeah. So I've used, I think a basic bookkeeping software is going to really take a lot of, take a lot of the work off of people. I've used QuickBooks in the past. I know a lot of, a lot of other folks that like QuickBooks. There's other, you know, softwares online, cloud-based softwares, as well as the more desktop-based I know, I think the QuickBooks Plus level allows you to basically cal calculate that gross margin inside your QuickBooks. So you put all your numbers and you can kind of separate enterprises. And I believe it's the Plus level that allows you to do that. Um, so right in your, hmm. as you're entering all your information in there, you can just see it kind of real time. So that's that could be a handy tool for someone if you're running multiple enterprises and you want to be able to compare quickly. So that I would be huge. <laughs> yeah. I need to look into that. Yeah, it's not... It's, you know, you pay a little bit more than what you would pay for the basic level, but you know, again, what's the cost totally of not, yeah. What's the cost of not knowing where your business yeah. is financially? It's, it's more than yeah. probably most people realize. So I would, I would suggest that. Yes. And 
the value, like you said, it might cost, I don't know what it costs, a hundred bucks a month, like $1,200 a year, maybe. I don't know. It seems steep, whatever the cost is. But like, if, if you think back to that example that we were giving of like the cow calf thing, a lot of people who retain ownership of a cow a calf till market are more than likely losing money on one of those enterprises. And if you don't have the tool or and when you get the tool to figure out where the money is being generated and where the money is being lost and you decide to completely cut that enterprise that's losing revenue, it's pretty easy and pretty fast way to uh, pay back some of those tools that gave you the ability to do that. I, I like uh, Warren Buffett. I think everybody knows or has heard of Warren Buffett. He says uh, he's like the most, one of the most successful stock investors in history says diversification is a hedge against ignorance. And I, I've always liked that definition. And and it's like diverse and there's nothing wrong with diversification, but recognize that by diversifying, you're probably investing in things that are losing you money or not generating you money as much as other things. Mm-hmm. And that's fine if you're ignorant to ignorance, not necessarily an insulting word. It's just the truth. I'm ignorant on a lot of things. I'm ignorant on stock investing. There's a reason I don't do it because, and, I, and if I do, I, I invest in index funds because I don't know which funds will make me money and which ones won't. I'm ignorant to that. Right. But if if you are no longer ignorant, if you look specifically at your business and realize which enterprises are generating you money and which ones are not, you don't need to be diversified. You can focus on the investments and the enterprises that are generating you revenue and maximize those. Sure. And that can be hugely impacting on your business. And Dave Pratt, he said something similar yesterday that I'd never heard said either. He says, diversification is not a profit strategy. Diversification is a risk management strategy. And by diversifying, you are almost guaranteeing that you're not maximizing your profits. I don't know. One thing I like about the grazing business is its flexibility. <laughs> if you're completely invested in an enterprise that has millions of dollars in equipment and infrastructure, it's hard to jump between enterprises. But in a grazing business, for example, if you're only if you have your only investment is maybe some polywire posts and a in a four-wheeler and you see the cow-calf business is profitable right now, you jump to cow-calf. And if you see later that the stocker business is more profitable, you can liquidate the cows and move to the stocker business. You can adapt quickly and rapidly to make sure that you're capitalizing on whatever profit or enterprise is most profitable at any given time in any given market. And you can only do that if you have a good analysis of your enterprises and the ability to you know, differentiate where, where your profit is being generated and where your losses are. Yep. And again, going back to that, it's a key knowing what it is that makes your business the money. I like yeah. I like that what you said, yeah, diversity or what he said diversity is not a uh it's it's a risk management strategy, it's not a profitable. Yeah. It's not a, yeah. necessarily always a, a profitable strategy. Right. And that risk management is important to think about in agriculture. Yeah. Um I often think that a lot of what we do in agriculture is managing risk. I mean, you start thinking about it, you're a lot of what we what we do when we're managing our farms and ranches is managing against risk. Uh, how to? Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely something to be thinking about. But I would not encourage anybody to pursue diversity because they think that they're going to make more money or be more profitable in their business by doing that. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. One thing I was thinking too is you know we're talking about running your numbers and there's a difference between like you know bookkeeping, entering expenses and sales and all that, and then this kind of work Jared and I've been talking about where you're, you're forecasting, you're, you're calculating your gross margin. That's, that's a really, really important work. That's the kind of work that potentially can be a thousand dollar an hour work. Mm-hmm. There's a book that I have really enjoyed reading in the last year called the E-Myth by Michael Gerber. Highly recommend that anybody listening, either listen to it in audio book or, uh, or read it. And there's a concept in there that he talks about. It's called the the Whitby versus the Whatby, working in the business versus working on the business. And as he kind of goes through this this story in the book, talks talking about business owners and how the success comes when they are able to step out of the business. So instead of making that salsa and growing those tomatoes and raising those heifers, you're able to step out of the business and work on the business structure. And that's really a good definition of a good business owner. When you don't have to be the one having the job doing the work, when you can step out of the business and work on the business, the planning, the vision, the structure. And Jared, I know you've been doing some of that recently on your own farm. How has that been going? And what have you learned kind of through that process of going through some of that 
that what be. Yeah. Well, it's kind of what we've been talking about is trying to figure out which enterprises make the most sense. And I I think I'm fortunate to have found myself in a family where my dad is, I kind of mentioned earlier, I think his, he went by back of the paper, you know, math, back of the envelope math and gut feelings and stuff while his back of the paper math and gut feelings were led to some pretty good enterprises and that each enterprise does generate some decent profit. But what it's allowed us to determine is where the majority of the income is being generated. And we had been moving more and more towards putting more of our tillable ground into pasture and uh, out of organic crops, because it's something that we enjoyed and we're more passionate about and stuff. Well, this analysis has unfortunately showed us that pretty much nothing competes with organic crops on profitability. And so uh, it's definitely given us, I mean, it gives us clarity on our enterprises and now we get to decide for ourselves whether, and this is maybe something worth mentioning too, is that profit may not be the only decision-making factor that we have to consider in our businesses. It's an important one. And in a business without profit is, well, first of all, it's not a business or it won't be one long without profit, but we also want to consider our lifestyle goals our land management goals. And so we may still continue to put more land into pasture, but at least this has given us the the financial tools to know and recognize what we're giving up by doing that. And that we need to be aware of that, that by choosing to put land that could have generated 500 to $1,000 an acre net in cash flow in organic crops by moving mm-hmm. it to pasture, we may be giving up several hundred dollars per acre, but at least we can do it with confidence knowing that we're not going to lose our shirts and we're actually profitable too. So it's, yeah, it's just, it gives so much more clarity and confidence. And the cool thing too, with this is, you know, if you don't know your numbers, say you're a 500 cow thousand acre operator and your neighbor comes to you and says, well, but those 500 cows and those thousand acres are paid for. And the neighbor comes to you and says, you know, here's, I'd like for you to take over my, my thousand acres and pay me rent on this and buy my 500 cows and expand your business but you don't know your numbers, mm-hmm. maybe you're cash flowing again because you have enough equity tied up in your cattle and your land that you can make a living on your land. But when the neighbor comes to you and you now have to pay a note on those cows and you have to pay rent on those acres, that may sink your business entirely. You know, you may now have a net loss and, and a realized cash flow loss because you have more expenses in the total than than you have income. And, and you would have been better and you would have been better suited continuing to run your land than to expand. It seems counterintuitive, but if your business model is not profitable, it happens where expansion can actually put you in the hole faster than operating at a smaller scale. Where alternatively, if if you know your numbers and you're confident that your enterprise is profitable and that neighbor comes to you and says, I'd like to lease you my land and sell you my cows and you can say with confidence, heck yeah, let's do it. I know I can make the payment on those cows and your land, no problem. Um, I would love that opportunity. It gives you confidence to move forward. I'd say that's where we're starting to get to the point now is where we have confidence in our numbers and our enterprises to where if we have opportunities to expand, we can move with confidence as opposed to uh, you know, skepticism or hope. (laughs) You know, hope is not a a business plan or a strategy, Uh, not a good one anyway. Yeah, you know, scaling up can often be the the fastest way to go broke. Unfortunately, a lot of people think that, well, if I just got bigger, I'd make more money. Well, if you're already losing money, you're just going to grow broke faster. You're going to run out of ability to go get money loaned to you from the bank. So, yeah, I mean, you make a really good point. It's if you don't, you have to have that confidence. And when you're armed with that confidence, then you can say, okay, let's scale this baby. You know, let's, let's take this thing to the next level. And, and, uh, you know, let's hire an employee. Let's, you know, and you have the confidence. And I remember a couple of years ago, I, I took some time. I took some what be time to run some numbers on lamb and sheep that I was producing. And I, uh, I had kind of a hunch, you know, kind of going back to that gut feeling we talked about earlier, I had kind of had a hunch that we weren't really doing as well on our retail lamb as I had thought. And so when I, I took the time and it only took me a couple hours, probably not even two hours on a spreadsheet just to run quickly, the direct costs on this lamb enterprise. And, and what I found out is, yeah, we were not doing very well on our retail lamb. And in fact, we were basically breaking even on selling lamb retail. And we were competitive with where everybody else was in the market. And so my alternative is, okay, I either raise my prices. We weren't selling a lot of lamb as it was, or we have alternative markets. And and we were very lucky because we had already been selling lambs wholesale on the just the, the regular market. And uh, 
it was it was quite a quite an epiphany and also gave me a lot of confidence you know spending a couple hours at the desk with a spreadsheet and a calculator and you know pulling out some records some receipts and different things it gave me a lot of confidence to be like yeah we could take this thing to the next level and i'm confident that i'm making the right decision by not scaling up my retail lamb sales because we were literally at a break even it was something we continued to offer um, because it helped bring in sales of other things but it was not something i wanted to focus on and it also gave me a couple ideas of what to do. And a couple of things would have been to increase our car- carcass hanging weight. So it would be basically increase, increase that gross product um, margin. And if I could cut my processing costs, because that was really what was hurting us is the amount, which is a direct cost because it was a fixed cost per per animal that I slaughtered or we slaughtered. So anyhow, just a, kind of another story, just yeah. Time time spent working on the business is well worth it. It's in in this case, a couple hours. I mean, it made a difference in tens of thousands of dollars. So it was probably over a couple thousand dollars an hour worth of time I spent. So that's that's the kind of time, and it's it's uh definitely time I would encourage you to spend to uh to get a handle on your numbers. And it can lead to uh, reduced workloads too, because usually probably in every business, there's work you're doing that isn't even worth doing at all. For us, when we did the numbers on making hay, we realized it didn't make sense to make hay. And so we outsourced, well, we do a lot less of it and we outsourced what we do make uh, as hay now. And so we, you know, a few hours of doing numbers saved us hours spent rake cutting raking baling hauling and wrapping hay and so you know whether you think you don't have the time or the money to do this oftentimes it pays for itself in both time savings and labor savings pretty quickly right absolutely so um gonna wrap up here what are some let's just kind of rehash and kind of summarize some of the steps people can take to, to start on this process and i'll just throw this out there before before we summarize that if you would like some help with this um, we're available to to work with you on your numbers there's many of our staff are very well equipped to to help you run run these numbers at least get you started in the right direction and you know we're only just a phone call or an email away but um yeah let's just summarize real quick before we finish up what what's the first place to start and kind of go over some of what we talked about yeah well something i realized we didn't say specifically so i'll, I'll maybe mention them or again the ranching for profit school and we're not here being supported by or sponsored by and trying to plug the ranching for profit school they just do a really good job but there are three keys to profit that we we haven't highlighted specifically so maybe a good time to mention those and whenever i say a list and is when i forget one so I'll, you'll have to follow help me out on this one but the the first one is decrease overheads or reduce overheads in our business that's the first key to profitability the second one is to improve gross margin per unit and again that gross margin is the gross product minus direct costs Um, and we can improve gross product uh, i won't get into the details of that but the second one would be to improve gross margin per unit first was to reduce overhead and the third one is to increase turnover and so those are the three keys to profitability that are worth mentioning and turnover is number of units produced by that set of overheads yeah. So if your overheads are $100,000 and you're producing $100,000 of gross product, try to see if you can produce $200,000 of gross product for that $100,000 of overheads. So just do do the same thing more times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or like if you own a, a set of a planter, combine, grain cart and all that stuff, and you're farming 1,000 acres, see if you can custom farm 500 for the neighbor and you're running sure. more gross product, more revenue through that set of overheads. Right. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun, and I kind of feel like we could probably spend a couple hours on this. <laughs> There's so much more we didn't even get to, uh, yeah. like you mentioned. So I don't know, maybe uh, another episode in the future would be good. Let us know if you would like another episode. You know, just comment or uh, shoot us an email or whatever, and maybe we can do another one in the future talking about more different aspects. Anyhow, yeah. So we three secrets of increasing profit: to reduce your overheads, increase gross margin per unit, and uh, increase your turnover. So if people understand that, then what's the next step they can take? Start taking action. (laughs) Start doing it. And and that's okay. So that's something worth mentioning here too. There's some examples of people. So uh, I have another podcast and I interviewed Trevor Burian on on that one, the Herd Quitter podcast. And he went to the Ranching for Profit School and I think I want to say like February of 2022, maybe. I think it was last February. He went to the class, took the class came home and by spring had sold his cows 
in, in a matter of months, completely sold his cow herd that he had been building for however long. And so it's like to the point of taking action, when you have these numbers and you're confident in these numbers, the only thing at that point that can stop you is, is you. So uh, you need to be able to willing and able to just take action on what you know. Right. And I will say he, Trevor has uh, excelled and been quite successful in his uh, business since he moved to custom grazing. He reduced the overhead cost of those or all of the equity, you know, payments of, of holding that much equity in the cow herd. He reduced all those winter feed costs and the labor of feeding those those cows all winter. And he custom grazes livestock through the summer. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, he's increased his profit significantly, his lifestyle significantly, his, uh, you know, so much. And uh, it all came from knowing the numbers and taking action on them. Right. Well, I think that's a great place to to finish up. I'll just leave everybody with a quote. I, I like this one by Henry Ford. It's whether you think you can or you can't, you're probably right. So uh, if you think you can't run your numbers, well, you're you're the one in the in the position of control, but we're here to help you if there is something you would like to explore further. And so anyhow, hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much, Jared, for joining me again and uh, hope this was helpful. Please join us again for another episode. Thank you. Dirt Rich is produced by the Sustainable Farming Association. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider supporting us by making a donation or becoming a member at sfa-mn.org. Thanks for listening.